Well, let's read Luke 9, 23 and 24 together here. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, when it's convenient, if it's not too much trouble, let him deny himself. And maybe at least once a week or at least a couple times a month, take up your cross. Follow me if you feel like it. For whoever wishes, whoever desires to save his own life, he might not do so well, but sometimes he may. And whoever loses his life for my sake, well, hopefully he'll, he'll be okay. Now, that's not the way that's worded, is it? However, it is the way, oftentimes, in our mind and thinking, the way we perceive it. But it's not the right way. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let me ask this question. I always like to do this. Anybody here from the southeast? Ooh, where are you from, sir? New Orleans. Are you a head sucker? Now, y'all don't know what I mean. If you're not from down there, you don't know what I mean by being a head sucker. Are you a head sucker? Uh, I'm a head sucker and a tail biter. That means crawfish. You boil the crawfish, you break the head off, you suck the juice out. Oh, man, it's good. With Zatarain's crab ball, I tell you, you can't beat that. Who else? So you an LSU fan, sir? Well, I must tell you, my wife's cousin was, who played for LSU last year ended up making all SEC and all, all American. so we're excited about that. But next year, I told him, I sent him, a, he's getting married next weekend, I sent him a little thing, a little check, said, congratulations, pray that you guys do bless. I said, oh, yeah, by the way, go Bulldogs, because we're going to beat you all next year in Starkville. So who else is from the southeast? Anybody else? Where are you from, sir? So you're a Gator fan? We're going to beat you all next year, too, in Starkville, by the way. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the message. I just like to do that. It's always fun. <laughs> My freshman year at Mississippi State, 1965, I was there on a football scholarship, and I came to Christ through the ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. A friend of mine, one of the teammates, shared the gospel, but a young girl had been praying for me for nine months every day. And I graduated in June of 65. I went there. And October the 1st, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior through a fellow teammate leading me to Christ. From that point forward, these two verses right here have been a grid for my life that have grown and increased exponentially. Okay? Now, here's the reality. When we are first saved... We're like a little baby. There's a precious little baby boy. I don't know. Is that your baby, ma'am? Oh, what's his name? Jack. He is, y'all see, he is so precious. I wanted to just hug him and squeeze him. Ten months old, right? Now, that little precious baby boy, as he grows, he's going to learn how to do things. All right? So are we as believers in Christ. We're going to grow and learn how to walk with Jesus. So a scripture that we might see initially when we get saved, the older you get, the greater depth, the greater, if you will, 
uh, permeation it's going to take in your life in all aspects. And this verse, these two verses indeed, are two verses just like that. So, we're going to have this thing up here on the back. And by the way, if any of you want this, everything I preach or teach, I always write it. So it's in a written form. You can ask them. They'll be more than happy to make you a copy of this. All right, here we go. The first phrase, if anyone, means just that, if anyone. From the worst offender that you can imagine to the person who's been brought up in a religious setting but has no clue of what it means to be saved, thinks their work's going to do it. This morning as I was getting ready to turn Fox News on, I'm a Fox News junkie, if you will, but they were talking about the five on trial at Gitmo. And as I was looking at that, and they were talking about all the stuff, see, those guys are exploiting our justice system. And I've learned over the years not to let anger. I used to get, I'd watch stuff like that, oh, no, 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 all that kind of stuff. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day, and I'm going to get into this later, but he said, you know, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And what God taught me to do, we're going to get into that, as I say later, is to pray and trust him. For God's mercy on their lives as he's had mercy upon us. There was also a major murderer of Christians who got saved and has an important aspect in our lives. Who was that man? Do you may know? Saul of Tarsus. Isn't that amazing? Wally Shubat. How many of you know who Wally Shubat is? Former Palestinian terrorist that got saved and now is a proclaimer of the gospel. So if anyone, John 3.16, God so loved the world, that means everybody. He died for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, just like he died for you and me in here. Okay. Now, the other side of the coin, we're going to get to this. As we pray for him, it doesn't mean that we roll over and let lies and deceit go unchecked. No, we have to address it. But you've got to pray as you do this. Okay. Now, Whoever believes in him means whoever will not perish. But that's the, that's the key right there. You see, the perishing is a choice that we make. And the only way that's not going to happen is by believing in Jesus. The very songs we sang this morning, it's his blood, it's his righteousness that covers us. We have nothing of our own. It's important to see and understand. Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag. Now, in the Hebrew, that word there is beged edim. Anybody know what that means? Anybody here? Nobody knows what that means. Now, everybody's going to know what that means. It means cloth of filthinesses. And do you know what that's talking about? Anybody have any idea? It means a used menstrual cloth. Now, let me make this. We got some young people in here, so I'm going to try to be as, as uh, clear as I can without getting too gross on this. But this is important for you to understand. I'm not a great cook, but I'm an outstanding eater. How many of you know my wife, Janie? Some of you women. Now, she is the quintessential Southern cook. Red beans and rice, she'll fix those things, and sausages make your tongue slap your brain. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> she, I just as soon eat that as I would steak. I'm going to tell you, it's good. 
So let's say we have some red beans, rice, and sausage, and we invite y'all over. It's on a Wednesday night. And they didn't have time to get any napkins. But where we are, Thursday, they pick up the garbage. He says, oh, run out there real quick, Justin. Look in the garbage cans and get all the used menstrual cloths you can. We'll use those as the napkins. Does that make you want to throw up? It should. But see, this is what's important for you to understand. That's what our righteousnesses are like. Isn't that amazing? You think about that. We have none. And so the necessity of us coming to Christ and the deception that we can save ourselves is the ultimate lie that Satan tries to permeate. Romans 10, 13, whoever means whoever. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we come to the next word, who wishes to come. It's very important to understand this whole idea, John 6, 44. Jesus says, no man or woman or boy, girl, anybody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now that word can in the Greek is a very important word. It means you don't even have the ability or the inclination. I certainly didn't. As I say, I was brought up Southern Baptist Church in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Everybody went to church. I did too. I thought if my good days, they, well, I, boy, my bad days, everybody's that way. I got baptized when I was eight years old, but all that happened is I got wet, you see. I didn't know Jesus. But this young girl started praying for me January of 1965. I graduated in June. She prayed for me every day. And I started coming under conviction. And the harder the conviction was, the harder I ran from the Lord until I got to Mississippi State. And I never will forget this. God uses all things. So I don't know all of you here today. Some of you here today may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God will use interesting things. When I was in the South, I tell people this, how many guys in here hunt and fish? Very few. You see, if I were down home, and this gentleman from New Orleans, the other gentleman over here from Florida, I guarantee if I went to, when I was raised, if I'd asked a question like that, every guy would have raised their hand. You were born with a shotgun in one hand and a fishing rod in the other. That's the way I was raised, you see. And so that being the case, uh, you know, I was involved in all kinds of stuff like that and this, that, and the other and, and, and you know, doing everything I could and hunting. On. But all this stuff I was doing, I was really trying to run from the Lord because God was convicting me with such conviction, all right? I was in the church, but I did not know Jesus Christ, all right? I was involved in all the cultural things that we did, but I didn't know Jesus Christ. This young girl prayed for me. And I get to Mississippi State. We're getting ready to play Auburn. Now, when I was back there, they used freshmen as dummies. In other words, we couldn't actually play varsity ball. You had, a, you had your freshman there. Then you could, if you're redshirt, you don't play. But anyway, they were using us as dummies. We were running Auburn's offense against our varsity defense. And so it was a, it was a reverse action type play. I, my thing was to hold the lineman to go across there and then hit that linebacker, you know, Hopefully, before he sees me, just knock the snot out of him. That was my whole goal. So that was what I was going to do. And I said, hey. So I was, you know, I had been a fairly good football player in high school and stayed. People knew who I was. I'm going to show these guys I'm Tommy Tough. I go across the line, get ready to hit that guy. And I may be as far from here to that little stand. And all of a sudden, he recognizes what's happening. And he turns around. And, I mean, he lowers himself, getting down in a hitting stance like this with that forearm coming up. And he hit me so hard, I thought I'd hit a brick wall. I'd never been hit that hard. I thought I ran into a wall. 
thought my head was decapitated, quite frankly. I'm lying on the ground. He picks me up, shakes my hand. This is the first thing he said, welcome to the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> Later on, he was talking. Another guy was to me, and he came up to me and said, Justin, I just want you to know God loves you, and so do I. You see, so I don't care where you are. How many Marines do we have in here? Can I see Sir, you, I knew he was a Marine. I could see the haircut. I knew that. All right. You see, God may, will use things there that you don't even think. How many of you here are school teachers? Okay. How many of you here have your own business? All right. All kinds of, th- we, all, we all do all kinds of things. You see, wherever you are here, God's going to reach out to you, period, period. His Holy Spirit there is to draw you unto himself. Okay? Now, if you look down here, you notice about the word draw. Well, you can't see it up there. But the word draw is an interesting word. It also means to drag. And I use this illustration taking from one of Caesar's uh, Gaelic wars. This guy named Valerius Proculus. He was captured. And it says this. Proculus, as he was being dragged by his guards in the fight, bound with a triple chain, fell into the hands of Caesar himself as he was pursuing the enemy with his cavalry. What is this saying? Well, this is the same Greek word that's used in the Latin, so that's why I wanted to use it. This is what it's saying. It's not that we love God. God loved us so much. How many of you here can look back in your life and say, you know what? I do see the Holy Spirit dragging me unto Jesus. How many of you can look back? Yeah, amen, amen. You can see that. Isn't that amazing? See, he drags us to that place. Now, John 16, 8 through 11. Holy Spirit does three things. He convicts us of sin. You see, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you think you're good, you're, you think your own righteousness, you'll never be broken, and you'll be living a lie. The first thing in order to be set free from sin is to see it. Secondly, he convicts us of the righteousness of Jesus. That through Jesus, Jesus laws of salvation. The third thing is judgment. Wow. Judgment. As I was saying, when this young man said that to me, I grew up in a, the church, Baptist church I grew up in. The pastor was a sweet man, but he was different. He told me one day as a sophomore in high school, I shouldn't play football because it was a violent sport. Well, guess why I played it? Because it was a violent sport. I liked that, all right? So I still went to church and all that, plus he didn't hunt or fish. He was different. He was a sweet man, but he, didn't, he wasn't typical of your southern guy. When I get to college and this guy knocks my head off and picks me up, says, welcome to the SEC, and then later on says, Jesus loves me and so do I. I said, whoa. And I started watching his life on the field. And what I began to see is here was a man who was totally different. And I saw other guys. They weren't talking about being a Baptist, being a Methodist. or a Catholic. They talked about Jesus. And on that field, they were some of the hardest-hitting guys I'd ever seen. Everybody else was cussing the grass, the dummies, the sun. Listen, in the South... Y'all don't even know what heat is out here, okay? You have no idea. That's heat down there when you get in, when the heat is about 95 degrees and the humidity is 90%, that's heat. And that's what we'd practice in. But these guys didn't do that. And I watched their lives in the midst of this. Off the field, they're talking about all their exploits, not these guys. And the Holy Spirit convicted me through their life and through the prayers of this young girl. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. You see, he was drawing, he was dragging me, and I was fighting and pushing. 
comes to that point. Now, here's the important part. Romans 10, 8 through 13. The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. See, faith itself is a gift. As I said, I'm not a good cook, but I'm an outstanding eater. But I can cook steak. So let's say I invite y'all over there. And let's say Ron comes in. I'd, got, I'd have to cook him half a cow to fill him up, right? Okay. <laughs> but seriously, I get that meat. I get a little 10-ounce sirloin. I cook that thing or a little ribeye. I tenderize that, cook it, bring it, put it on a plate. And Ron's looking at that thing. Man, this looks great. I said, wait a minute, Ron. I get a knife and fork and cut a succulent piece of that meat off. I put it in his mouth and pull the fork out. I've done everything for him to enjoy that meat except for one thing that I cannot do, which is what, Ron? Eat it! I cannot do that for him. I can't chew it and swallow it. That is his choice. Are you all with me? So you see, the Holy Spirit can do everything in dragging us, pulling us to Christ, showing us our sin, the righteousness, the judgment, putting the faith in your mouth. But the last step is yours and mine, either to ingest it or spit it out. That is the choice. Now, as we continue to look at this, here's what's significant. We come to the other phrase, whoever desires to come after me. That word after means behind. In other words, it's not us going in front of Jesus. It's Jesus going in front of us and us following him. Now, there are some things that hinder. Once we've come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning. It's not the arrival, okay? It is not the arrival. And there are some things that can hinder our following him. One of the things is fear. The most oft-repeated command in the Bible is do not fear. The second most uh, oft-repeated command is trust in the Lord. They're the antithesis of each other. All right? So understand, Satan is going to come and attack you in every way he can to make you disbelieve God, that you really can't trust God. And here's the reality. We have to fall on our face many times before we come to that place. When I was playing ball in Mississippi State, I was a defensive tackle at 225. And I talked to that to guys today, 225? I got cheerleaders weighing that much today, don't they? They understand this was 45 years ago. This was the day when Bear Bryant, the heaviest guy he had on his line at that time, was like 215. But they were fast and quick. And then they started getting big and quick guys, and he changed his philosophy. But that's what I played. And one of the things I used to do is because of the quickness I had, a lot of times when a guard would pull, I would shoot the gap, go back there, tackle the quarterback as he was handing off to the fullback. And Mississippi State, we have cowbells, right, sir? We ring the cowbells, all right? Hey, but here's what happens. Your opposing teams are going to watch the game films. And they're going to see what you do. And they watched. And so here's what they did. That guard would pull. And rather than the quarterback standing back like this and handing the ball off to the halfback or fullback and me being in there, he got the, quarter, he got the ball, boom, he pitched it out to the halfback. I'm there and all that I get is air. The halfback then cuts back and goes right up into the hole that I left and he goes 25, 30 yards. It happened about three times. And so one week we came back. Now typically what you do, you get back on a Saturday night or Sunday early 
Sundays are light workout day, shorts and t-shirts. Monday and Tuesday are hard days. Wednesday's kind of light. Thursday's real light. And then you go get ready to go play on Friday. Or you leave Friday night or wherever you're going to play on Saturday. That day, that week, every day was like pure hell for me. He took me and he put me through the ringer Sunday afternoon through Thursday. And I was whining and crying. This isn't fair. Look at this. I saw Tom do this. I saw Bill do this. All that kind of stuff. And he kept me later after practice. Let me tell you what happened. After that week, I never did that again. Now, there were a couple of times. In fact, there was a guy down here at uh, Revival. I was preaching there last year talking about this. He came up to me afterwards. He says, Justin, I played against you at LSU. Couldn't believe that. That was the year they stole the game from us in 1968, but I won't get into that, all right? <laughs> but he was a linebacker, and I was defense. Anyway, the point being is in that particular game, you can see me a couple of times. I would do like that, that guard would pull, but I didn't do it because I remembered something. It begins with a P and ends with an N, and AI is in the middle. What is that? The pain. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. As a child of God, it's not a matter of if God will discipline you. It's only when and the intensity and what he uses to teach us the lessons. All right? And understand, no discipline for the moment is pleasant. I can guarantee you these men who are, here, who are Marines going through boot camp and all that they have to go through, it's not fun. Was it fun when you went through boot camp, Ron? No, no way. Two-a-days are never fun. But two-a-days are there necessary to prepare you for what's going to happen when you get into the fourth quarter. Am I right? Absolutely. Now, I'm going to use this as an illustration. Ma'am, what is your name? What? Katie. Katie, is that your purse? Could you bring it up here with me just real quick? I want to show you something. Katie, I'm Justin Alfred, huh? It's good to meet you. Are you the singer? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were. Because you crossed your legs like you do up here. I was watching that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come over here. Now I want you to put your purse on your left shoulder, please. So let's say she comes to me. Now, there, there are good dojos around, and with ours, those are not good. I say, I'm going to teach you martial arts and self-defense. And, boy, you're going to be great and this, that, and the other. You just pay, you know, pay me $120 a month, and, oh, you're going to be super. So I teach her this junk, and I say, now, if somebody comes up to you to grab your purse and run off with it, and I want you to just go, go boo, do that to me. Boo. Oh, no, I mean, do it. No, you got to do it more forcefully than that. That's not going to work really hard. Boo. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, let me ask you, in the real world, is that going to happen? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to come up and grab the purse. I want you to, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. I want to teach you these fingers right here, okay. like this. Okay? Get your thumb under here. Now, when I grab the purse, I want you to take your hand here and go right into my eyes. <laughs> and then I want you to kick me, and I'm going to fall down. So don't really do it. But let's just say I grab the purse here. <laughs> do that just like you're doing it. Ah! And she kicked me. Ah! And she runs off. This, is that going to work? Absolutely. Good job, young lady. Okay. Now, the point I'm making is this. You see, there's God's truth that's going to set you free. It's going to liberate you. It's not easy. 
It's not easy to learn how to do this. How many of you here have done martial arts training? Okay. Some schools I've been to, they teach you to do this like an eye jab. That's stupid. Nothing personal if you were taught that, but that's ludicrous. You'll break your fingers. This way, this finger supporting that finger, this finger supporting that finger. Ah, you can go to the neck, the eyes, any kind of thing. It's very important. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing. It's a big thing. Now listen to me. In your walk in Jesus Christ, it's the small things that matter. Ooh. Ooh. Being a Christian now for 46 years, I can tell you that praying and reading the words never easy. It's a battle. Sometimes when I start praying, it's like plowing through concrete. Any of y'all ever plowed? Nobody. I can't believe that. You haven't you've been in Florida and New Orleans, you know? Very good. All right. I was a little boy, I used to do that at the Mississippi Delta. And I'm going to tell you what, it's not easy. And you get up and you begin to pray. Now, here's what I will tell you. It's important to have a consistent way you pray. I pray through the Lord's Prayer. Not rote, but I add putting meat on the skeleton. It takes me about 10 days to get through it. But every day I know where I am in that schedule. Are you with me? Reading the words the same way. I have a systematic way I read. That's important. When I go work out at Gold's Gym, I have a three-day workout schedule. I, each day I know what I'm going to do, okay? When I do martial arts training with people who go and work, I have certain steps you take to get to where you need to be. Am I, am I right in this? If you have a job and you're training somebody in computer technology, hey, I just do whatever you want to, just play and tap you No, you have a systematic formulation of what you're teaching them. Am I right? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is exactly the same with you and with me. No less different. And so, we come to this aspect here. So as I said, fear is one of the most insidious things that, the, that Satan uses to basically hinder you and me from growing in the Lord. The other thing is bitterness and anger. I cannot tell you how important this is as we're going to look at this. Five and a half years ago, my fourth daughter was murdered in this area. Some of you know about that. And I can tell you that when that happened, uh, all that I had in my mind was to eliminate the person from this earth forever that did that. And that week was just pure hell. It was the, and, and the pain's still there. It never leaves, quite frankly. But I kept quoting Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never seek your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus says the Lord. I continued to quote that, continued to quote that. One evening, several pastors would call me during that whole week saying, Justin, we love you, we're praying for you, we love you, but don't kill him, and they really meant it. And one guy in particular who was a, a very skilled martial artist, many of you would know him, he's been in it for many years, he said, Justin, your strength is your greatest weakness. He says, because you know what to do. He says, but that will destroy you. And I said, whoa. Soon after that, I happened to pick up Psalm 4610. And it says, the English translation is cease striving or don't worry. But literally what it literally means in the Hebrew is drop your hands and know that I am God. Whoa. You see, that was God specifically speaking to me. That was God's small thing. That's like teaching to how to do an eye jab with this way versus this way. Are you with me? 
and getting your fingers strong, doing the fingertip push-ups and all that kind of stuff. That's what that was. Let your hands drop and know that I am God. Now, that's not what I wanted to do in the flesh. Are you with me? Totally the opposite. Say, so you do that, he's going to get away with this, blah, 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 blah. But you see, the next morning, as I went to bed that night, it's amazing. The next morning, as I woke up, I couldn't sleep. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not audibly, but in my mind. And this is what he said to me. As my grace and love and mercy are perfect, pure, holy, and complete, so too is my wrath and vengeance perfect, pure, holy, and complete. But then he said to me, but your wrath and vengeance is imperfect, impure, unholy, and incomplete. When he said that about the incomplete, it set me free. Set me free. Because I realized, you see, seeking vengeance is one. Defending yourself, defending our country as these Marines are doing and other service people are doing, praise God for that. If somebody came to attack my wife and myself using lethal force, in the blink of an eye, if I had to use lethal force to respond, I would do it without any hesitation. That's defense. But vengeance is poison. Are you with me? It's a big difference. Trusting God to do this, or however he's going to do it, is one thing. But to pursue vengeance, when you start scheming and planning and letting that be the guy, it will, it's poison that will destroy you. It will absolutely destroy you. And that has been a small thing, but a big thing, isn't it? Are you all following me? Okay. We come then to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness. How much is all? Not most, but all. Now, here's the important thing to understand. When it says do this, it means we have to continue to do it. A lot of times people tell me, well, somebody, how can I forgive? It's not, see, there's some things you can forgive once and it's over. There are other things, however, that continually come up, continually come up, because the scar and the pain never leaves. And so you have to continue to walk in forgiveness and mercy. And we're going to read about that here in just a minute. So letting all bitterness means every time the bitterness and the wrath come up, boom, you respond to it. And we're going to show you how here in just a minute. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, very, very important. Pursue peace with all men and be sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That word sanctification in the Greek is hagiosmos. And it comes from the Greek verb hagiazo, which means to be set apart and set aside. All right? And Jesus talks about being born again. What this first sanctification is talking about is being born again. He told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't mean just with oracular vision, but he means to comprehend and understand it, you see. Unless one is born again, Unless you've entered into that relationship with Jesus, there's no way you're going to be able to comprehend any of this. Now, another important aspect of this is that once we are born again, we come down there to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things here. Number one, this sanctification and preservation has a twofold concept, if you will. Number one is our eternal relationship with Jesus. When you're his child, you're his child eternally, period. Hallelujah. The other side of that is you're sanctified, you're set apart, you're preserved eternally. 
on the other side, and that is our daily walk. God is not a puppeteer, and we're not puppets. And when I talk about the optative mood down here, you say, what does that have to do with the price of eggs in China? Everything. It's as important as learning how to do a finger jab or whatever it is you want to do properly. The optative mood here implies the fact that God indeed is the one who eternally does it, but on this earth right down here. My day-by-day -day sanctification being set apart, my day-by-day -day preservation depends upon me surrendering to his lordship moment by moment in faith. Wow. So the taking up the cross, denying myself daily means all day during the day. Are you all with me now? Hey, listen, I'm Southern Baptist background. Let's get a little Baptistic here. I like a little response. Are you all with me? Very good. Okay. So it's an ongoing, continuous thing throughout the day. Throughout the day. I tell people when I go to work out at 65 years of age, just been on Medicare and all the elements, the best thing of working out at my age is what? Anybody at my age. Tell people what's the best thing about working out when you get to be our age. Huh? Who, who said that? Right there, hand in the air, sir. Bam. <laughs> Say it again loud. Finishing. Yes, praise the Lord. That's the best part. <laughs> Getting to the gym is 50% one, is one, of it, but finishing, oh, that's glorious. And the last thing I do every day is sit-ups, okay? And I started that in Marshall. We developed what we call an iron shield, but that's, that's the most important part. It, just to take care of this part of your body here, the older you get, you're, you're, everything else is going to fall in place. If you let this go, you're going to have trouble. All right. So that's important. Listen to me. A far more greater importance is your spiritual life. And what I'm here to tell you is this. Getting into the Word, getting into prayer, letting God's Word be the grid and colander of your life is absolutely essential. For you to experience God's sanctification, Him sanctifying you, setting you apart, preserving you, that's what it's going to take. Because He's not a puppeteer. But as you surrender, you're going to say, ooh, I'm not going there. I'm not going here. I still do some sparring with these kids. I'm 65. I fight these guys 35. They're quicker, faster than I am. I can't. I mean, I, I just you slow down. So I have to make up for my lack of quickness and speed that I've lost with experience and treachery. Okay? That's what I have to do. So I have to, I act like I'm, you know, I have to lead them into something where they're making a commitment, and boom, I go into them and do something. Okay, that's what I do. But listen, that's the same way the enemy does with us. Am I right? Come on now, am I right? Let's get a little baptistic. Am I right here? See, he tries to lure us into a trap, doesn't he? We do, and he does what we call a mawashigiri, that is an elbow slam, right into your head. You think you had him, boom, you're dead meat. All right, moving on here. So, we come to Matthew 5, 43 through 48, and this is essential for us to see. This is this whole aspect of forgiveness. It says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your, neighbor, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's where verse 45 ought to end right there at the end of heaven. Let me tell you what this is. This is the opposite. It has nothing to do with your feelings. Do I have, when I start praying for this person that uh, killed my daughter, do I have this amorous affection? I don't mean a sick, homosexual way, but I mean, do I have this, oh, this tingles in my tummy? Absolutely not. 
has nothing to do with my feelings. Are you with me? Not a thing. When I'm at the gym working out every day, not occasionally, every day I work out, I come to those sit-ups, the last thing I do, oh, you don't have to do this. Oh, you can skip. You can cut it short. The minute I start doing that, I begin to set what in my life, Ron? If I start cutting short my sit-ups, well, I'll do it today. What am I? I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do what? Absolutely. I'm lowering my standard, and I begin setting a pattern, and what's going to happen? Each day I'm going to cut it back, and it's going to up. Some days just come and slap me upside the face. Y'all with me? So here's what I'm saying to you. God's given us the spirit of discipline. That means a sound mind. I pray every day. Sometimes it's like plowing through concrete. I read the word. Even if, if I don't have as much time, I have a systematic way. That is essential. This is absolutely, unequivocally not Bowflex Christianity. Y'all with me? You've seen Bowflex advertised? I can guarantee you, these, I see this gentleman back here, these two Marines, I can guarantee you, if you look at them physically, they didn't get that way using Bowflex. <laughs> and those people on Bowflex didn't get that way using Bowflex. They got that way going to Gold's Gym. You come with me to Gold's Gym and work out, I'll show you how they got to be that way. And it wasn't through ease and comfort. It was through pain and struggle and sweating and pressing. I said, listen, I'm not talking about the energy of the flesh and a, and a carnal thing, but I'm talking about surrendering to the Lord in faith and barring Him in faith is painful. And you don't want to hear that, but I'm not here to sell you anything. I don't have anything to sell. I'm here to tell you the truth in the same way. Kelly, you know what's your name, darling? Katie, I knew it was a K. If I taught her to say boo to somebody like that, oh, I, no, no sweat, but what's going to happen? She's going to get abused, assaulted. But if I teach her how to do that correctly, some guy comes and does that, he's going to be sorry, is he not? But she'll be very thankful. It'll take a long time to learn how to do that, strength, kicking, all that. But you know what? It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. Only one time in my life I've ever been had a street fight. When I was growing up in the South, if somebody wanted to fight you and had his buddies, you and he fought. For his buddies to enter in the fight was the apex of cowardice. That guy would have been rolled out. I mean, it was just, he was just, oh, he was scum. I never, but when I got to be in Colorado Springs, I was in a street fight. These people tried to jump on me. And if I had not known what to do, my wife and daughters were watching the whole thing. I'd have been killed, been killed, all right? So you never know. You understand? The enemy's going to come at you at a time and a place you least expect. Am I right? Come on now, am I right? He's telling us to be daily ready, daily ready. Okay, what's he saying here? He's saying as you bless, each time that thought comes to you, you start blessing. Many years ago when I first came out here, I was teaching at the Bible college. And the guy who was there at the time, he and I, we were, you know, we were, we were on the same page. We were on the same word. We had the same vision of what we were doing. He left after a year. Somebody else came in to assume that leadership. And this person and I weren't even in the same library, okay? So at the end of that second year, they invite me not to come back, all right? Now, the way they did it was interesting. They did it after everybody graduated, and they, you know, so there wouldn't be that much hubbub. But then they fired me. And after that happened, some of the kids there were really upset. And they called me one day. They said, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Blah, blah. They were mad and angry and upset about a dozen of them. What do we do? I said, well, come on over here and talk about it. I hung the phone up. This is what the Holy Spirit told me. What you share with these students in the next few minutes will be the most important course you've taught them in two years. You see, our walking with Jesus is not just about knowing doctrine and history and language. All that's important. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you it's the life. Notice what he says there in verse 45. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That means that you may be in a continuous state of becoming a son or a daughter of your Father. Are you with me? This is the ongoing way. This is the consistency. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It's very painful. But you come back, this is the colander, this is the grid that's going to filter self-destructive thoughts coming into your mind and saying, Lord, I'm going to obey you and do things your way. All right. Psalm 4610, that's one I've already talked to you about. Psalm 5, 8 through 10 and 35, 1 through 8. As I said years back, I would listen to the news and I'd get mad. Ah! And when one day the Holy Spirit said to me, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Several days later, as I was going through my systematic way of reading the Bible in Psalms, I'd read five chapters a day. I came to Psalm 5, 8 through 10. Basically what it says, Lord, they're lying through their teeth. I'm paraphrasing. It's not a, nothing they say is true. I can't believe anything. He says, Lord, you be the one to cause them to fall by their own devices. Holy Spirit said to me, you trust me to do that. I said, whoa. Psalm 35 through 8, 1 through 8, I came to that several days later. Same thing. And at the end of that passage, it says, Lord, you be the one to cause them to fall into their own trap that they're digging for me. Holy Spirit again said, you trust me to do that, Justin. I said, Lord, yes. So I pray that all the time. I pray that for the Muslims. I pray that for Osama bin Laden. We see what happened, didn't we? I said, Lord, I pray for mercy and grace in that man's life. I pray that you'll bring repentance to him. But Lord, if he refuses, you expose him for who and what he is and cause him to expose himself. You be the one, Lord, to cause him to fall by his own schemes in the very pit he's dug for others. I pray that even in the political situation in our own country. I pray that for everything, you see. It's learning to let God fight that battle. And when he calls you to take a stand in defending the truth, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even physically, then he'll prepare you for that. But you don't go out in vengeance letting that be your guide because you'll destroy yourself. I would rather fight a guy that's lost his temper any day. It's coming to me and swinging like that. Oh, that's like eating steak, and that's, belly, that's like eating red beans, rice, and sausage, all right? Why? Because he's lost his sins. out of control. You can do all kinds of things. Then a guy who's looking at me steely-eyed, and he's not looking at my face, but he's looking right here. If that happens, I know, man, I'm in trouble. Why? Because that guy's under control. Are you with me? Listen, when you let bitterness and anger, lust, greed, pride, jealousy that emotion come in and take over your life, you're out of control. And Satan's setting you up for boom, a Mawashigiri, if you will. All right. The other thing we come to down here, Jesus says, you follow me. He doesn't say, I want you to follow John Calvin. Is, I've read Calvin's Institutes. I think they're great. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Jacob Arminius, a lot of good writing in there. Okay, Charles Stanley, Chuck Smith, Billy Graham, all men that God has used, but they're mere Mere men. Are you with me? And when you start letting somebody else do your thinking and believing for you, you then get into a personality cult. And you start letting somebody else do it, you're looking at the Bible through their eyes, you're missing what God says. When I got saved my freshman year, there was a guy named R.B. Theme. Any of y'all ever heard of R.B. Theme? Nobody's heard of him out here. Well, he was a big guy in the South back then at Houston. He was a graduate of Dallas Seminary. He was a good teacher. So we had a lot of these young, do you remember R.B. Theme, sir? Okay. He was a good, great teacher, had a lot of great things to say. In him. But these young kids, I mean, R.B. Theme, R.B. Theme. And they were just looking at his teaching without reading the Bible for themselves. 
As I was studying and reading, all of a sudden I came to the realization that the Holy Spirits and the gifts, were, they're still for today. But he was a cessationist. And I started looking at the arguments he had. I'm just a meat. I still am just a meathead. But I said, something, this is not clear. Anyway, I came my senior year. I was preaching at, first, at the First Baptist Church of Quitman, Mississippi, Youth Revival, God's Sovereign. That's about as Southern Baptist and non-Pentecostal as you could get. And sovereignly, as I was praying one afternoon, the Holy Spirit filled me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, been saved for three years. Holy Spirit filled me and gave me the gift of tongues. Incredible. In the pastor's home. Not with a pastor, but as I was praying by myself. So you see, I saw, hey, this is real. So here's the deal. It's not following any man. I'm not of Apollos. I'm not a Peter. I'm not a Paul. No, I'm following Jesus. Who are these men, Paul's saying? They're just men. And if that is your grain, you're just a babe. You're carnal. God's word needs to be your standard. That's got to be the grid which you follow, okay? Now, we move on down there. Paul says, let him deny himself. Ooh. This self-denial is painful. I wish I could say it's easy. It's not. It's not Bowflex Christianity. But it's something God enables us to do. Philippians 2, 1 through 8, a, a gentleman one day, a guy named Richard Errolot. Anybody know Richard? Nobody knows him? I saw him. This was years back. Works out at Gold's Gym. He has multiple sclerosis it's, as a young boy. And he has, his motor functions are impaired. But what a man of God. He came up to me one day. He says, you know, Justin, I was on the, doing the elliptical thing. He says, the Lord showed me in Philippians 2 here that Jesus made himself of no reputation. When he said that, that was a word of wisdom. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and exposed my sin. See, only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I saw that most of my life had been about making a reputation for me. Didn't even realize it. Part of that is as a competitor, when you're as a man, you're comp- you don't even realize how much you're doing for the sole purpose of others seeing you and thinking you're great in your mind, you see. And I saw that, and I just fell broken before the Lord. I said, oh, my God. Luke 22, 24 through 27. This is right after the Passover, after Jesus had washed their feet and talked to them about what it meant to be a servant. And they came out of there, and they had a dispute. The word dispute there means philonikia. It's a word, double word means love of victory, but it was a victory for their egos. And they were arguing, who's the greatest? Jesus says the greatest is going to be the person who seeks to be the least fascinating. Here was Jesus, the creator of the universe. He said, if you go to a banquet, I'm not the guy sitting at the table. I'm the one serving. The other passage, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus talked about the Pharisees. Everything they did, they did to be seen and noticed by man. For the, that was where they found their identity and their sense of security. It's what they thought in their mind that they were impressing others. You see, we can do a lot of things. We think, oh, these people are thinking this, and they're really thinking, oh, <laughs> you see. But not only that, but when you're doing that, you are enslaved to that addiction. And rather than bringing security, it just exacerbates your sense of insecurity, you see. It is an addiction that God wants to set you free. And as you become as Jesus, as he was the servant and did what he did not to be seen. Well, then Matthew 6, 1 through 4, he says, don't be like the Pharisees because what they get out of that is God doesn't even recognize it. And if you as a believer are doing that, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that's wood, hay, and stubble. So he tells us to do what we do totally unto him 100%. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 is saying that. Whatever you do, you do out of your innermost being is unto him. I'm going to tell you what. In business, in, in the military, 
you're going to have leaders that are absolute jerks. I know these guys can't say that because they're still under some people, all right? But it's a reality. How many of you in the business world have worked for who, uh, employers that were jerks? Yeah. But you see, if you do what you do is you become a sycophant. How many of you know what the word sycophant means? Well, in common parlance, it means a brown-nosing bootlicker. That's what it means, all right? then you're never going to be set free. On the other hand, if you do what you do is under the Lord, other people may be recognized. Other people out of their own security may stab you in the back. You bless them. God is going to bless you. I've been stabbed in the back, but I'm here to tell you, God will do it, okay? So he says in Matthew there, do what you do in secret. That word in secret in the Greek is kryptos, and if you substitute the U for a Y, it's crypt. What is a crypt? Anybody? A grave. He's saying, I want you to do this as though you're in a grave, and I see who in the grave will reward you openly. Come up with two other passages. I'm going to finish up here. They're going to throw stuff at me if I don't. I've got to get through fast here. But 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Again, all of this is about daily surrendering, daily taking up that cross, daily denying. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That word war there in the Greek is stratuomai. It's where we get the word strategize. So here's what happens. We're going along. Somebody's hurt us or done something to it. In our mind, we start fabricating how I'm going to respond. I'm going to say this. How many of y'all have done that? Come on now. What a lie that is. I've learned. When that stuff goes, I stop. I just start praying for the person. I start blessing them. I say, Lord, you orchestrated. I have no idea what to do. See, that's a lust. He's pulling you into that thing, setting you up for a mawashigiri. All right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding occasionally. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and sometimes he makes your path straight. No. So as we are continually not leaning to our own strategy, but trusting in his strategy, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, that is, to the obedience of the grid of his word. Are you with me? He is going to filter through those things. Take up the cross daily. We've already talked about that. Psalm 119, 9 through 16 talks about the Word of God being the filter of our life. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus says to those Jews who believed in Him, if you, look at this, if you abide in my Word sometimes, then maybe you'll be disciples of mine. Hopefully you'll know the truth, and sometimes it'll make you free. See, but that's the way we live, isn't it? He's saying my Word is going to be the key for you to know truth and to find freedom. Guys, there's no, if you try to circumvent that, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. It's like going to a dojo and learning a false means of self-defense. It's not going to really help you. It makes you feel good at the time because there's not a lot of work required, right? But then when the test comes, that night I was jumped. If I hadn't gone through all the rigorous stuff, I'd have been killed, killed. I won't go into the detail about it, but it was intense. All right. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, pray, pray, pray. Then we come to follow me. Follow me. How do we apply that family? Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, it talks about the husband's wife and the role's wife. I'm here, the wife's role, the role's wife. <laughs> the wife's role, I'm trying to do this fast. I'm here to tell you, wife submitting to the Lord and just submitting to the husband's loving husband your wives as Christ loved the church, there's nothing easy. It's very painful. When we first get married, we think we're wonderful. We think we're wonderful. We think they're wonderful. Then all of a sudden we discovered my husband and my wife have dirty underwear. Am I Right? Come on now. Am I right? We understand other things as well. And so here comes the love. One day I said, Lord, what does that mean? How do I love my wife like that? 
And the Holy Spirit said, how do I love you, Justin, in the face of all of your sin and failure? Whoa. Whoa. It's not about her making me happy and doing it. It's about me, Lord, loving her as you love me in the midst of all my sin and failure. Secondly, we come to employees. You work for a jerk, you pray for that man. You give your best as unto the Lord. God's going to bless you. It may be a time where you need to move on. If there's a situation there, you trust God, he'll open the door for you to get out, have something better. But don't be a quitter and a runner. Are you with me? You stay there and fight all the way through. That's what I've learned over my lifetime. When God wants you to move on, he'll make a way. But don't go out bitter and mad. You go out praising, worshiping God, doing your best as unto him. Employers, you want to be, have a successful business? You want your profits to be up, then you treat your employees first before you treat yourself. Am I right, guys? Come on, let's go. Am I right? Absolutely. A leader is a man who doesn't go and boast about himself and what he does, does he? He takes care of, he gives credit to the men and the women who've out there serving, either in the military or his business. Am I right? The other guy is a narcissistic, insecure individual. But you know what you play for. But I'm saying for you, those of you who are employers, who have your own business, you want to be successful, you take care of your employees first. You'll be blessed. Lastly, financially, we end with this. Matthew 6, 19, 33 is talking about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Malachi is talking about the tithe. I can only tell you this. The tithe was something that was given long before the law ever came. Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek, didn't he? Long before Moses, the blessings of tithing have always been there. And listen, people say, oh, there's no the tithing in the New Testament. That's true, it's not. But the principle is, the promise in Malachi stands today as it always has. I'm here to tell you, when we have been in a place where literally pennies and nickels look good, when I was in graduate school at UCLA, pennies and nickels look wonderful. But we learn to tithe, and God has always provided.